What's up guys? Welcome to the third edition of Nerds on the Black. I'm Zach Gifford again here from Birds on the Black. This will be the third episode of the new podcast Periscope Nerds on the Black. Um, I'll be joined today by John LaRue of the Hardball Times and Viva Albertos. We'll be going through some of our all-time picks, uh, both Cardinals and players we've seen. Um, we'll be going through that. Uh, the, the Periscope continued a streak of killing or streak of destruction, which I'll talk about a little bit too. Um, we will be talking baseball this time, um, even though there's not baseball. We missed that last week. We talked about Taylor Swift. Um, thanks again to Keeley for coming on. Thanks to you guys for listening in on that. Uh, hopefully it was provided some entertainment in the absence of baseball. Um, for me, uh, this week, uh, you know, I think in St. Louis, there was uh, the stay-at-home order that came out, Illinois. I'm up in Chicago. That, that's been out now for a week and a half. Um, and you're releasing to Jason? I don't think so, but I guess I don't actually know. So we can ask him once he's on. Uh, John will be joining probably in about 15 minutes. Uh, again, we'll, I think, you know, Jack Flaherty went through his all-time team. We could talk about, you know, his a little bit too. Uh, just something, you know, we're trying to find baseball content to pass the time. I think, uh, you know, things have been pretty slow. We saw today Noah Syndergaard and a total Mets move hit the DL. Uh, it's going to be having Tommy John. I think that's probably something that we'll see a little bit more kind of coming out. It's usually you see those injuries start to pop up in spring. Maybe we're a little bit, um, we're probably going to see a little bit of those as players kind of evaluate the timeline and everything else. Um, but yeah, so I mean, any if you guys want to start off, we'll start off with questions. Again, John will be joining uh, in about 10, 15 minutes. We'll kind of, we'll circle back on that once we're here. I think, you know, in terms of Cardinals news, there wasn't a ton Um you know, nothing's really come out. It sounds like the MLB best case scenario is going to be, um, you know, June start time. And I, I've heard July 4th tossed around a lot. It sounds like, you know, baseball in May, is it going to happen? Um, we'll see how it goes. I'm hopeful um, that we'll get part of a season at least. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they remake the schedule. Um, but I think for now, I think for now, you know, things are going to be, be pretty slow on the baseball front, but we'll, we'll talk all time teams, nerds, nerds, nerds. Yes. Uh, Stats STL cards had a good periscope the other day. So our, our, apparently our Cardinals Twitter community is very talented. Uh, he, he had a periscope last night uh, doing some country, country singing and playing guitar. That was, that was really entertaining. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of Cardinals news, I guess what I've been kind of working on in the background and I think the way me and we're going to kind of release, at least for me, release content over at Birds in the Black is we're going to start, you know, bringing things together and then kind of as we get closer to baseball and ramp up into the season, we'll um, – probably start pushing things out a little bit more just because we want to see how things evolve and you know this is not a lot of sense and there's no current events in baseball going on right now so but i'm working on something with lane thomas um he's a guy obviously he came on the scene last year um strike you know i think he hit for it was like a mike trouty and 180 wrc plus um you know he hit over 300 it was something in the minors he had never been that good of a hitter so it was a little bit out of nowhere um, the Cardinals really like him. I was looking looking a little bit into that. Um, and in the majors, he struck out, like, it was under 20% of the time. I think he hit four of his eight fly balls for home runs, which is something that's not going to last. But, like, any time we deal with small samples, you're going to have weird noise like that. So trying to look into, like, in the minor leagues, we have uh, swinging some plate discipline data. So the main thing is swinging strikes um, or whiff rate. And he's a guy that throughout the minors, he struck out at a rate that was like above, that was above average. So like more strikeouts, so worse for the hitter. Um, but he's always whiffed at a rate pretty far below average. Um, so it's interesting. I talked to Kyle a little bit. We were trying to figure out, you know, why, how somebody who whiffs 
so you know a pretty small amount would strike out as much as he does um and, and maybe it's something to do with him being a streaky player i think you know the cardinals got him in a really hot time he's playing really well until he until he fractured his hand unfortunately um but yeah i mean any questions you guys have we'll get through it again we're Baseball this week, we'll probably kind of alternate around uh, between baseball and non-baseball stuff. This week, we're going to, like I said, we're going to be going through all-time teams with John LaRue. Um, but yeah, I mean, baseball news, uh, corona news. Uh, Chicago's at a stay-at-home order until April 7th now. It got extended for, I think, a week. Um, company I'm working for, we've all been working at home, so the office is set up here. It's not this, um, luckily, I guess, uh, takeaway. What am I drinking tonight? Oh, I have some White Claws, so that is a good point. Um, I'm drinking black cherry white claw for now. Um, I, it is probably the third ranked white claw flavor, but we'll start, you know, we'll start getting it going. So white claw power rankings are definitely, I think lime number one, mango number two, black cherry number three. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, we've been, there's been a little bit of talk online uh jack flary some other mlb players have been kind of kicking in um you know in the absence of baseball trying to figure out things to do some of that's debating all-time teams so um we'll go through that am i rocking the players we can hit yes this is the players we can hit you probably can't tell i can't really see the logo on the camera i guess maybe you can a little bit um it's uh i i really like the hat i know it's it's pretty bright i guess it doesn't really work well with the webcam but do I think Lane Thomas's BABIP can hold up the majors? He's consistently 325 to 350 of the minors. Um, I don't know. He seems like he's a line drive hitter, so he'll probably hold the BABIP a little bit. I don't know that he'll be – it's really hard to be 325. Like 350 is probably not going to happen. Like Mike Trout, I think, is probably 350 year to year, and Lane Thomas is a Mike Trout. Um, as a line drive hitter, could he be 310, 315? I think last year he was – just under 310 for sure um but again that's going to be a little bit of a sacrifice of power so he had a really good exit velocity uh jason hill over at viva albertos who's another uh one of my favorite guys over there right now um pointed out that had lane thomas qualified his exit velo- average exit velocity which was 91.7 miles per hour would have been one of the top among the cardinals in top 20 in the major leagues which obviously like we're dealing with I think he had 45 plate appearances he probably had 30 batted balls like we're not talking about a huge sample so we can't really draw too much from that um but he was one of a few Cardinals who were able to you know as hard as he hit the ball he had a couple balls hit over 108 miles an hour he was one of the very few Cardinals who were able to do that um that's a good sign for you know his future production um you know stars at the athletic a year or two ago wrote an article about how just being able to get above that thresh that 108 mile per hour threshold is like really important for a player's success, at least relative to kind of how you'd project them without knowing that. Um, so that's a good sign. As a, the, the problem is in order to hold a 310 bat pip, he's probably going to have to be a line drive ground ball guy. Um, you know, he's not going to hit – No, most guys that hit for a ton of power don't run bat pips that, that high. So um, uh, we'll see. I think, you know, long term he's probably – I don't know. I think he can be an above average hitter, but I don't think it's going to be by a ton. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely, he's a good line drive hitter. So we'll see, we'll see how that carries. Um, I was excited to see what, one of the most disappointing things in spring. And I talked about this with Brendan, um, a little bit last week 
or two weeks ago. Um, but the young guys all got off to a really hot start in spring training. Harrison Bader was hitting very well. Um, Tyler O'Neill had a nine-something OPS, and so did Lane Thomas. And I think that uh, you know, one of the things we're really going to miss out on, you know, is those guys having a chance to kind of carry some of that early success maybe into the season. Uh, we know, I mean, spring training doesn't really matter a whole lot um, in terms of future success, but it's one of those things that, uh, you know, it, it's for Lane Thomas, it was, a, it was another sign that he was kind of picking up right where he left off. For Harrison Pater, hopefully, you know, maybe he's making some adjustments. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think all things considered, um, they, they were off to a good start, and it's really disappointing that they will be missing out um, on a chance to start in the spring. So I'm going to have John join now. We're going to talk through, um, like I said, the all-time teams. Um, John, let me know when you can hear me. Um, let me see when you're on. All good to go. All right, sounds good. So, like I said, on Twitter um, and around the kind of the, I think you know some of the players have been picking their all-time teams. You've seen it on other podcasts. Um, we wanted to obviously take a little bit of a cardinal spin on this, but also you know kind of touch on all of Major League Baseball as a whole. So I think you know we, me and John went through. Um, we picked two separate teams. So the first one is going to be all-time players that we've seen or at least players that we've maybe not seen live but have played while we've been kind of like baseball conscious I would say um and then the second is going to be an all-time St. Louis Cardinals team regardless of era regardless of whether we saw them play um we got John I'll let you kick it off um from the conversations we had before it sounds like you've kind of lived in a golden golden era of of baseball yeah, as we were kind of talking about it, man, when I was a kid, I, I lived in Wisconsin in the Molitor and Yount years, and <clears throat> so I definitely got in on the 80s guys, and then um, I lived in D.C. when during the Harper and Scherzer years and was in St. Louis for 15 years right during the Prime Pools era, so, um, so I mean, definitely that, I mean, that, that influenced a lot of what I had to yeah. say for the... Uh, <clears throat> for the all-time for team. For me, I think a lot of my all-time team comes out of the steroid era. So, and, and we'll get <laughs> into it. And that you know, I'm gonna have some picks that in that that you know maybe people wouldn't pick because they were on steroids, um, or at least allegedly on steroids. And it, it is kind of weird because like for most of you know, probably the first fifth. When was the Mitchell report? Was that like 2006, 2008? Yeah, 2006. I, I think that, yeah. you know, it's only been, that was half of kind of the time I've been sort of baseball conscious since about 2000. Uh, but, so I'll kick it off. We can kind of go through, um, we can go through by position. I think you may have made a whole roster. I um, have a lineup and not quite a batting order because I just went by position. I could do a batting order, but they're all good enough that it doesn't really matter. Um I mostly had a starting lineup, and then the guys I was too chicken yeah. to cut, and then I figured I'd flush out a full rotation. Yeah, so. no, that's that's. Uh, I think we can we can both get there. So for me, opening day lineup, uh, or let's say even like game seven lineup, um, I'm gonna have Pedro Martinez on the mound. Um, I think he ran the one year he ran a stupid low ERA. I think in the ones in the middle of the steroid era. I think it was 1999. Um, that's yep. probably. I was four, so I didn't, 
I probably don't remember any <laughs> of it, but from the highlights, you know, from looking back at highlights, he was, that's probably the best, one of the best seasons I'll definitely ever uh, probably see. I have Ivan Rodriguez uh, behind the plate, Pujols at first, um, preferably Cardinals era Pujols. He had a few good years in the Angels, but we're going to take peak Pujols. Second base I struggled with. Um, I ended up at Robinson Cano, which I don't know how I feel about that one. There's, I think I left off Roberto Alomar was one that I could have put on. Jeff Kent was one that I kind of played with. Um, but Robinson Cano in the Yankees years was, for my money, probably one of the best the best second baseman, um, at least of the last 25 years. Um, A-Rod at third base, which... Most of the time he was at short, but we're going to slide him over to third, take Yankees A-Rod. Derek Jeter at short, and then Barry Bonds in left, and I'm cheating, taking two center fielders, uh, but Mike Trout in center, and then Ken Griffey Jr. in right. <clears throat> so I know we kind of talked briefly about uh, whether or not we were going for, like, just people you enjoyed watching, or do you want to just create the <clears throat> the Monster Jam or the, the Space Jam yeah. lineup or just the – guys that'll crush you <clears throat> there were definitely players that i wanted like you mentioned bonds for instance and he's one that ended up not making the okay. cut for me because of specifically because i there was somebody else i wanted in there that i, I thought was more yeah. fun um so just going around the horn i had uh gary carter at catcher um it was catcher was a tough one for me i, I he was one he was gary carter pudge rodriguez technically i saw carlton fisk but i mean that was kind of like the tail tail end when he was basically DH, yeah. so that would have felt a little disingenuous. Did you think about Mike Piazza at all behind the plate because I I thought about him too, but briefly, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I figured if defense. I exactly if I wanted that much offense, I would have just gone with Pudge um, without sacrificing the defense. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, Pujols was definitely, you gotta have Albert at, at first. Uh, second base was another tough one for me. I went with Robbie Alomar. Um, mm-hmm. After a while, I found myself kind of like, you think about these guys and their like long careers and stuff like that, and it's really not fair to the modern guys. So at shortstop, I went with Francisco Lenore, um, who I, we'll see where he ends up, but it was it, for me. It was down to him, Jeter, and Ripken, um, and I went with Lindor yeah. because, or A Rod. Really, you could stick A Rod at third, but um, and again, the fun thing led me to stick Roland at third. Uh, it was down to him or Manny Machado. Um, definitely did Trout. Um, Ricky Henderson's in my outfield. I've got Ichiro was my like Bonds replacement because I want something yeah. fun. Um, yeah. Ichiro was just so much fun to watch. Did you um, ever get and to yeah. see one of his? The famous batting practices. I did not know. Um, I saw a few games when he was actually. I saw a game when he was with the Yankees way back, okay. um, but did not see the batting practice. Yeah, so I, for the people that haven't heard this, I'm sure everybody knows by now. But apparently, Ichiro just hits bombs in batting practice and then goes out. It um, was just good enough to also hit, you know, just slap hit to his way to 300, um, and a lot of times a lot higher than 300, which. Modern modern baseball, maybe they would have just told him to swing away. But back in uh, back at there, he played. We we were looking for the three fifty batting average for sure. He was he really was just kind of this odd mix of talent. It was so much fun yeah. to watch. Well, 
Uh, and yeah, I, I got Pedro on the mound too. I mean, Pedro, we, you mentioned the steroid thing. I mean, it that's sort of the, the inverse of it, right? Where like Pedro pitched in the steroid era and didn't affect him at all. It just made him look that yeah, better. Yeah, he was, I think that's probably the most impressive part about it is like you look back and like I remember, you know, thinking just the way I've kind of viewed rotations growing up is like I, when I was really young, I used to used to see like five ERAs like low fives for starters kind of at the back end of the rotation. Like that was just kind of considered totally normal and fine. Um, you know, yeah, I'd, right. you'd see guys, with, I think eight, I forget who it was. Um, it was one of the guys on the, the Mariners team that won a hundred some games because probably uh, he ended up on the White Sox. I'm blanking on his name. I was just talking about this the other day. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Garcia. <clears throat> um, but he had like a sky high ERA one year and still won 18 games. Um, yeah, and that was a byproduct of playing on one of the best team regular season teams, at least. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy to think that because like Kershaw's had really good seasons. He was the other one, I, like for me, I considered because again, like I, I have a bias yeah. towards the guys I've seen play a little bit. Um, but it's just Kershaw's. A lot of Kershaw's best seasons were in an era where the ball's pretty dead. Um, runs are kind of down across the board from. You know, starting in 2011 or 13, probably to, you know, down to 15. So it's picked back up since then. But we're kind of on the, I don't want to say the tail end of Kershaw's career. He's still pretty young, but we're definitely on the back half of it um, in the decline phase for you sure. Choose, you choose Kershaw, you're not choosing him because of the last two or three years. You're choosing yeah. him because of the came before yeah, that. Yeah, I think the, his best season, I think, was like a one, it was like a one seven something ERA, and I think Pedro in the steroid era was like one point nine. So I, I had to give the edge to him there too. Um, yeah, but yeah, I thought. I mean, I think our, for me, the biggest spots I struggled. I look at Ricky Henderson a little bit, but he like I think he barely played while I was alive. Um, yeah, and so you definitely yeah you got the not good part of Ricky Henderson's yeah, so, career for sure. But I was surprised, so I don't I don't spend a ton of time looking back at. Um, kind of the stats of you know older players and when i when i was kind of going through this and trying to find the guys that were like playing while i was you know less than five at least uh, to try to sneak in into my lineup i think that you know i didn't realize that ricky henderson was as good of a hitter as he was like i just i you hear all those stories about his his stolen bases and his defense and it was like he was still like a legit like 300 hitter for a long time um in the walks, yeah, more than walk, anything. I think he walked more than he struck out in a ton of seasons, right? Yep. All right. Yep. So segueing in, I think we both had Pujols at first. I think he was the only was he the only Cardinal on both of our on both of our lists. I think that's right. On yeah, both, so, yeah, yeah. I selfishly plugged Roland yeah, in there. I guess that but... yeah, Roland does count a little bit. Um, so plug, moving over to the Cardinals list. This was one where I definitely favored um, guys that I I tried to keep it in context, but there was a couple spots where I favored uh, guys that I've seen play, or at least struggled with guys that I've seen play. So I'll start I'll start on my infield, um, and then we could kind of go back and forth with this one. But I think we're probably gonna agree a lot here. So I start with Yadi Molina at catcher, uh, Pujols at first. I actually struggled a lot with that one because. I wanted to put Mark McGuire in there so bad. Um, and I was trying to justify, like, Pools could play left. I could, sh- you know, he did technically play left a little bit. I think he played third a little bit. But um, yep. I, I was I 
couldn't couldn't move off him at first as much as I wanted to include Big Mac. Uh, Rogers Hornsby at second, and then I had Roland at third, and of course Ozzy at short. Um, I'm sure we probably probably have a lot of overlap there. Yeah. Um, outfield Stan in I had him in left, Edmonds in center, and then Eno Slaughter in right. Uh, I wanted so badly to put JD Drew in the lineup because when I was really little. <laughs> Uh, so when I was probably like five, like when I first started playing T-ball, um, I wanted to be number seven because of JD drew. Um, he had like one really good season, uh, at least that I can remember, but, um, I, he was a monster when he was on the field. There's yeah, no doubt. I just think, uh, I think if I would have left off slaughter, my, my dad might've kind of came after me for that one. So I had, to, oh. uh, I, I had to, JD is my first guy off the bench for sure. I don't want to go into my picture yet. I'm going to hold that one because I think I'm going to upset a few people. So we'll, we'll <laughs> circle back to that. Spoiler, it's not Gibson. Um, but if you want to do your your position players, let's hear it. Sure, yeah, we definitely had a lot of overlap. Um, and again, this was influenced by the like, the less the like, HJM lineup that's going to crush people and more like, Okay, these are either guys that I are beloved or guys that I saw play that I you know have special feelings for. So yeah, definitely Yachty behind the plate, of course. Uh, Pujols at first. Uh, I had to go with Red Shandians at second. I know Hornsby's the guy. It's yeah. Hornsby's clearly the guy if you look at the numbers. But Red's, I mean, Red's a legend, yeah. right? I mean, he's he he feels like he needs to be part of that somewhere. Um, and yeah, Ozzy and Roland. I toyed around with the idea of putting Matt Carpenter on there just because I knew he, like you could move him around. And um, if I had like a t- full 25 man roster, he's my number 25. But um, yeah, the yeah. usual and Edmonds in the outfield, just like you, I went with Ray Lankford, who I think kind of, yeah. it kind of gets lost how rear he had. Um, not that he was amazing, but you know, he was um, solid. He was like solid to very good for a lot of not so good teams. I think yes, and for a long time yeah. too. I mean, I think if you look uh, at it, you know, and Matt Carpenter kind of fits this too. But if you look at the Cardinals, like position player, um, like wins above replacement leaders, Carpenter and Ray Langford, I think are both top twenty now. Um, and they it, they're guys that just don't really come up because they you know for Carpenter he he's a, definitely fits the kind of new era of baseball that we haven't really won. Uh, I mean, we've had winning seasons, we've had division titles with him but we haven't won any world series really with him i think he was technically on the 2011 right. team um or at least he got a ring i don't know if he was on the postseason roster um but i want to say he got a ring but like ray langford those teams were you know luckily for me i was too young to understand but not good for, <laughs> for some some were done yeah, terrible i mean i think yeah. that's probably like i don't know in the cardinals franchise like that's got to be one of the darker darker periods was the late i would say maybe late 80s till early 2000s right yeah i mean other than like you had the 96 team made the playoffs but i mean yeah especially the early 90s teams the tory years were really lean yeah. when um, did, uh, this is just part of the history i don't know when did jockety come in to the picture was that early 2000s it was 90, so Bill DeWitt bought the team in 95 and then hired Jockety. I can't remember if it was, like, before 95 or after 95. 
So Jockety was like a huge part of getting McGuire. And yeah. uh, I mean, they at least he got him into the playoffs pretty quick. And then then it was just kind of the McGuire show for a few years. Oh, and Jockety's specialty, or at least his strategy, just seemed to be like, you know, get the acquired guys kind of at the tail end. Maybe not the tail end, but it seemed like they got a lot of guys that were kind of on the slightly past their prime, maybe. Uh, but then, but then guys tra- that were at some point stars. So you got, you know, Mark McGuire came over. He had two really good seasons. Scott Rowland kind of fit the same bill. Um, I think Edmonds probably fit that bill a little bit too. Maybe he, I mean, Ed- he was, he was um, more of a star maybe in St. Louis than in the Angels, but I think it was kind of the same profile of, of player maybe. And even like Edgar Renteria, he got very young, um, but he, he was good at capitalizing on that, like guys that were one year out from free agency or one or two years out, or um, it's just a magic trick that no longer exists in the game, but it was, he was pretty good at it at yeah. the time. Cardinals <clears throat> gifts asked if we chose a manager for our teams. Um, I, if I, I did not, if I did, I would choose La Russa <clears throat> just cause that's really... My options that I've seen are Larusa, Matheny, and Schilt. Uh, I think Schilt is good, but give the nod to Larusa for now. Um, I I didn't go that deep, but yeah, I think I don't know. Whitey was pretty great, but I think I'd have to go with Larusa as well. Um, I, I I think Larusa would be a better fit for this lineup. <laughs> yeah, so, I think that's the main yeah. thing. Is my lineup is very much fit for the style that they played post nineteen eighties. Um, so who do you have? Uh, we'll just take your must-win starter, and then um, who do you have to close out? Your starter's going at least eight innings. So, well, my must-win starter would be Bob Gibson, of course. Um, I mean, Gibby was Gibby's the man, right? I mean, it's just it, 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 Shane Deans was kind of almost a, like he was good, but it's kind of a like he okay, Red's got to be in there, but Gibby is like unequivocally he's the man. So Gibby was my yeah, guy. So this is going to hurt um, probably my perception a little bit. But so I know Gibson is the man, definitely the best pitcher in Cardinals history. But like I said before, I have a bias towards guys I've seen. And I talked to you about this a little bit earlier is in 2011, yeah. Chris Carpenter, every time he went out on the mound, I was pretty sure that we were going to win. Like, I remember game 162, I saw Carpenter was scheduled to start, and I was like, I don't even have to watch this game. I just checked the score at the end, and it was like, okay, we're in the playoffs. Um, I felt like the same way throughout the, the playoffs into the World Series. Um, as soon as, like, David Freeze hit the home run in game six, I was like, we had Carpenter in game seven, it's over. Like, I, I watched that one. Um, but, like, I was just – so, for me, it's Chris Carpenter. And a lot of that is, I think, again, he's a guy I saw. So, for me, it was going to be – Knowing, knowing too that you were going to pick Gibson and he was going to get his representation, um, I went with Carpenter. I was I thought about Wainwright a little bit, but I feel like, and maybe I'm wrong for thinking this. I'm just biased, but I feel like Carpenter had a much better postseason career than Wainwright's had so far. Um, he did great last year towards the end of the year in the playoffs for us. Um, but yeah, for me, it's definitely Chris Carpenter. Um, just kind of. The, and, the screams, the, the, I mean, he was, I remember against, it was, I think in the 2011 playoff race against the Brewers, him and Niger Morgan, um, they like, I think through their like dip at each other on the field. 
Yeah. It's like, that's yeah. like, I, that's what I like. I, I don't do that now, especially uh, don't do it in your social yeah. distancing. But uh, no, that like stuff like that, like that's just for me, like that was what I kind of grew up watching where, yeah, I, I think I was like 15, 16 when the Cardinals won the 2011 World Series. That's kind of when I, I've been a fan my whole life. I watched my whole life, but that's kind of when I first started watching everything. So checking the scores every day, watching the highlights every day, getting MLB TV, um, and kind of going through all that stuff. So, you know, the, I, for me, it's just like, that was such a big part of kind of when I became like as much of a fan as I am now. So I had to give him the nod. Um, probably 25 other organizations. If you chose somebody like Chris Carpenter, nobody would bat an eyelash. (laughs) Really, I mean, he, he had a hell of a run. And I mean, especially, we talk about, like, this is a La Russa-style team, right? I mean, like, Carpenter was the king of the red asses. And, I mean, he would be perfect with this, like, rolling lineup and yeah. um, some of these other guys we're talking realize, about. All right. I at least didn't remember when I was um, kind of looking back at some stuff that Carpenter used to be able to run it up to, like, 95. Like, yeah. He, he was, I mean, he was a little bit of a power it, pitcher for what it was back then. Yeah. Especially then, I mean, he was he, – he had some – some queso and the breaking ball is filthy um it yeah. I, I remember on mlb uh or what was it mvp baseball I, so i had on gamecube i had mvp 2004 and then 2005 and i always remember thinking that if like adam wainwright and chris carpenter were ever in real life healthy at the same time like they always were in the game the cardinals <laughs> would have had the best one too in baseball by a mile. Uh, but it seemed like they were never, never healthy at the same time. Um, for the, uh, so what's kind of started this is I saw, like I said before, MLB players um, that were kind of going through this on their own in the, in their downtime. Um, and what, so Jack Flaherty's, uh, I think he talked about it a little bit with John boy who covers a, he podcasts about the Yankees. Now he covers most of baseball. You've probably seen his YouTube videos. Um, he was, he found as much about the Astros hacking or sign stealing scandal as MLB did just by rewatching games. Um, so great investigation by MLB there. Um, Jack Flaherty's must win lineup. So I guess this is maybe a little different than all time, but his must win lineup was, and I think this is a batting order too. I could be wrong. But Derek Jeter, so I I guess you have to have Mr. Uh, Mr. November in there. Ken Griffey right. Jr. in center, batting second. He's got Pujols at first, batting third. Bonds in left-hitting cleanup. Hank Aaron in right, which neither of us took. I mean, I couldn't have taken Hank Aaron, but you didn't. I was surprised. Um, that I was a little surprised, I guess, that he wasn't in yours. I... He retired before I... Okay. Oh, yeah. gotcha. Okay. Then yep. Chipper Jones at third, Molina behind the plate. I think he has to say that. Um, <laughs> and then Roberto Alomar at second and Bob Gibson on the mound. That's a pretty solid lineup. I, That's a good lineup. There's a few that maybe I'd poke at a little bit. Um Molina catcher probably being the the main the first one, but I understand right. why why he's got to say that. Uh, well, in junior too, I mean, like junior, he's almost like the Sandy Koufax of hitters, right? Where like his peak was just 
amazing. But then, unfortunately, most people just remember like the end where he kind of was hobbled all the time and not as good. But yeah. when Junior was coming up, he was he was something to yeah, watch. He's one that if he could have stayed healthy for a while, he would have been probably among the all time greats, right? I mean, he already kind of he's already up there, but I think he's you know most people wouldn't put him in the same tier as. Um, is some kind of the elite of the elite, but when his best seasons, right. and I mean the way he played the game, the fun he had, he was, you know, I think I saw him towards the back half, so I think he was with the Reds probably for most of it. Yep. Um, it was like a magic curse the moment he got traded to the Reds, where it just kind of didn't quite go for him the way it had in his in his Seattle years, but right. But yeah, I mean he was. I have him on a my team on the show right now that I've been playing online. He's my two hole hitter. So I agree there. Um, Bryce Harper picked one. So this is a little different than, um, Flaherty's Cal Ripken jr. At short, which that surprises me a little bit. Um, but again, I, I grew up seeing Ripken at third, like, so that's just probably a time error difference. Maybe, uh, although Bryce Harper is basically my age, which is scary. He was kind of the template for all these like big power hitting shortstops we see these yeah. days. Like he was he was the the first one really that kind of you know, like scouts started to realize that like well, wow we could have a guy with some pop out there. And I don't like I think I forget when his consecutive game streak ended, but I think I was like I like remember I think hearing about it, but I had no idea like the right, like what it really meant. And he played like, wasn't it? How many games straight was it? It was over. I don't want to say the wrong number, but it was like, was it double digit seasons straight of games? I think it was, yeah. Double digit season straight. I mean, it was at least, I think it was like at least 83 to about 97 or 98, um, where he just didn't miss yeah, a game. I mean, that's crazy. Um, you just don't see that now. Now we're so active on teams are so active in getting guys rest. Um, you you just don't see the same thing. And on, and a lot of the big body shortstops seem to kind of fall apart. Like Corey Seager's had issues. Manny Machado had to move over to over to third. Um, Even A Rod, I think, was probably headed yeah. there. It, it worked itself out because he was there with Jeter, but yeah, I think that was uh, kind of in the works before he even went over there. Um, and then even he at third kind of fell apart pretty quickly after that, which uh, maybe there were some other reasons for that. But, um, right. but yeah, it's uh, it's kind of crazy to see. The only memory I really have of Cal Ripken Jr. was I would always draft him on Backyard Baseball 2001. And I, hate, I hated his <laughs> batting stance, though. He had this like he had this weird, like he'd do this like circle with his hands and like stand straight upright, and I'm sure it would... In, yep. I mean, it was I hated it in the game. I couldn't hit with him, but I had to pick him because like I would always pick the main major leaguers, and I'd end up with five shortstops. I'd have like Nomar Garcia Parra playing left field. Uh, Derek <laughs> Jeter would be like second base, and yeah. you know I'd be I always picked Barry Larkin too, which he's another guy that he's Larkin. like shockingly yeah, good, and just yeah. in an era where he was maybe I don't know the fifth best. Is he even top five of like the era he played in in terms of shortstops? Like, it's close. Yeah. He so one of the first things I did is I I was like, well, I'm going to look up the the Fangraphs WAR leaderboard for like basically 
when I was conscious of baseball. So like 85 is, you know, like when I was nine years old until yeah. now. And Larkin was like second or third on that list at, at shortstop. And it was behind Ripken and Jeter. So, so I looked uh, up the same list because um, I wanted to see the guys that were good before I was conscious and that like barely creeped in. So I think I also used 85 as the, as my reference point, but yeah, it was, he was second on that list. Like, I mean, obviously it misses some, uh, some parts of the career, like obviously Ripken. Um, but it, it was crazy that he was as good as he was for as long as he was and still kind of, uh, I, not necessarily an afterthought, but definitely behind some, some of these guys in the pecking order. Um, like I don't think Barry Larkin's making a lot of these all time lists. It's always, I mean, yeah. it's mostly Cheater, Ripken, maybe some people putting Mariners a rod at short, but uh, he played on a lot of very mediocre Reds teams. So nobody, you know, it's not yeah. like he had any October moments or even any pennant race stuff. He just, he was just a great player for bad teams. Yeah. Kind of like, a. uh, did, did Barry Larkin, I, he's in the Hall of Fame, right? So kind of like yes. the Hall of Fame version of Ray Langford for the Reds. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Same story. Exactly. Um, talking about that, the, yeah. One thing about our Cardinals teams, and I don't know how um, how some of our, our fans are going to think about this one, but uh, we didn't have a lot from the 80s teams. Yeah, and I'm okay with it. Like, it as a representative of someone who grew up with those teams, let me tell you, like, I mean, they were great teams, but they were more, it was the team that was great. It wasn't so much any one or two specific players other than Ozzy, of course, yeah. but like, I mean, like, look, Willie McGee was a great player, but am I going to choose him over Jim Edmonds? Probably not. Uh, or, you know, Tommy Hur, same kind of thing. Like, um, Jack Clark. There, Jack Clark had some great years here, but he was no Albert right. Pools. Yeah, that's what. So I was talking to my dad a little bit to kind of get more context on some of these guys I didn't see, and we were coming up, and this kind of gets back to the to sort of the trend we were talking about, Jockety, but even extending back for twenty years or so, is the Cardinals have like a had a pattern for a long time of getting like big names for like a season or two at a time. So like you know Keith Hernandez. I think he won an MVP with the Cardinals and like, I wouldn't even consider yeah. him at first base before, like obviously not before Pujols, but I, he'd be below McGuire for me. Um, you know, Jack Clark was named that came up. Larry Walker had, you know, a good season and a half with the Cardinals. Yeah. And it's like, he's a guy that it's just Lance Berkman, Carlos Beltran. It, it's a lot of those, guys, of those yeah. guys. And it seemed like for a long time, at least since I've been watching that these guys would come it almost like rejuvenated them to play for a team that was always in contention. Um, yeah. Like Beltran had two really good seasons with the Cardinals after being down for a couple of years. Um, we have a question from this is, so this is a variant on something that we, one of my friends asked on a Yankees podcast, but when I was in high school, we would, this is going to sound horrible. Our high school baseball team would nominate the two most worthless players on our team in a given game to essentially, like, I'm going to say fight. It really wasn't that aggressive. Um, but we would nominate two players to fight, the two most worthless players to fight um, it after after 
after games, which hopefully I don't get in trouble for this now, but um, somebody somebody asked, who are the two most worthless players on the Cardinals? We'll say from 2019 that we would nominate to have that fight. <laughs> uh, so I, the first one I'm going to give is Matt Wieters, um, who seems like a great guy. I, you know, that's my first choice. And I, I mean, come on, Brett Cecil. Does Brett Cecil count? You know, does he? Does I he don't know. In any games? Spring training. Spring training. <laughs> yeah, Brett Cecil's good. I Matt Weeders is tough. He because he had a. I mean, he was, it, it, I mean, I guess he didn't play that well, but he was he had a, like a two week stretch where I think Molina was either tired or hurt. Uh, I, I'm married to a Nats fan, so I'm a, a and little, the yeah. Nats. They're not very fond of Matt Weeders, so I kind of I'm I'm biased in that way. So yeah, I think I would have to go with. So who's like the? I'm gonna try to get, pick a couple guys that. So I don't want to pick Brett Cecil, but Dominic Leone is kind of fits the same bill. And again, I'm sure all these guys are nice guys. We don't want them to actually fight. Dominic Leone <laughs> for me is probably the first one, and then. Can I pick Gyro now that he left Munoz? Yeah, he's really I, kind of the I perfect one. Should, I think as his as his kind of send off, he should have to he should have to step in the step in the ring. <laughs> you fight for his roster spot back, yeah. maybe. No, so we had some one of my buddies asked us on an old old John Boy podcast and uh, for the Yankees, and they had a, they had ended up with Chase and Shreve. Which um, <laughs> we can obviously agree on that one from his from his really, time with the yeah. Cardinals, and then I think they were they wanted uh, Austin Romine because they were pretty sure that uh, Austin Romine would win, so they uh, they they went with Austin Romine and Chase Atreve. I think was where it settled. Yeah, I think Graham just asked if Dominic Leon was with the Cardinals. Yeah, I think he threw like a weird amount of innings last year. I didn't remember him pitching like at all, but I think he threw like 30 innings. Um, he was around, uh, I think he, I think they non-tendered him, so he's in Cleveland yeah, now. He, we didn't bring him back, but I think they tried to, I think, you know, he had a couple, I think his velocity was back, he just wasn't that good. Um, but that's two bad reliever trades we've gotten from the Blue Jays, so maybe we should just throw Cecil and Leon in the ring and see, see which of the bad yeah. Blue Jays comes out on top. Um, yeah, Zach choosing two guys on the Cardinals anymore. Exactly. And we're looking at 2019 Cardinals, and they were so useless they're not on the team anymore. It, it's the it's the perfect, it's the perfect choice. It is. Um, but yeah, that's uh, does Bader so Cardinals gifts asking more questions. Does Bader start the season in center field? I guess if the season starts, um, I'll let you take that one first because we talked about it a little last week. So. Uh, does me? Bader start the year in yeah does it, so who I guess who's your starting outfield on let's hope for July 1st opening day um I think it's Bader O'Neill I mean I don't know that I would necessarily go with Fowler but I think it'll be Fowler um and, and I'm not anti-Fowler necessarily but I, I I'm pretty sure that's the direction they're gonna go um I'm I'm very excited to see what Tyler O'Neill does, but Bader is still my center fielder come hell or high water, really. I mean, um, I 
think even if he doesn't hit, there's enough glove there to carry it. And I think he's, you know, I think he's going to hit more and carry it anyway. I think it's so. kind of with Bayer, sort of the Billy Hamilton question, where at what point um, can you kind of have, you know, if Bader's not hitting, which he, which like he did last year, at what point is like just having that spot in the lineup? Like, does a glove really outweigh it, or is there something missing, kind of in the in the numbers? Because they, uh, like, if you just look at WAR, like Bader was an above average player last year. I think he was worth like one point seven or one point eight in like a little over half a season of play appearances. Like he was still on track for a pretty good year. It's just it was all all on defense. Um, but I hope at least offensively, um, that's the floor. You know, it can't get much worse. Yeah, I thought you had an amazing rundown uh, not that long ago about you know taking pitches in the heart. Um, that was, that was I'd what love I did to... in high school. I would swing at the bad ones and watch the good ones. So I, that's easy to find. Just <laughs> just look for guys that have like weight discipline. Um, but yeah, I. I I, I don't know. I definitely feel like there's more there with Bader. I know he gets a bad rap, and I understand, but um, I don't know. I, even if you look at like a lot of Zegzavelo and everything, like he's there's skill there to to be a, just a genuinely good hitter, or I at least average hitter, yeah. if not probably a little bit better. But um, depending on how the BABIP goes, but I think you probably um, have. So he got all, he always gets maybe gets rightly or not, a decent amount of, like, Randall Kritchik comparisons, um, which I think at this point we kind of all know they're pretty different as players. But offensively, it's, you know, they're probably going to get there in slightly different ways. But Bader's probably in a good year, maybe at, like, a 105, 110, like, OPS plus. And in a bad year, maybe it's 80. I feel like Kritchik, even in his bad years, hits enough, hits for enough power that he's going to, like, you know, he's had a couple of years at like 90, um, but then he's had a right. couple of years at like 120. Um, but then obviously he doesn't play the same defense that Bader does out in center. So a little bit of trade-offs. But... Exactly. <laughs> and then the base running, I think, is going to be an interesting thing, too, because he had such a he had so much value that he added on the bases in 2018, and it kind of evaporated a little bit last year. And I think that kind of robbed him of some of his – the cushion that you had with him, too. I mean, um, it – if he can find a way to, to kind of regain that, that base running value, that, that'll go a long yeah. way. Graham asked uh, for, so Dexter Fowler, if we could get a mediocre pitcher with the same contract, would we tra- swap out Dexter Fowler for that reliever? Let's say like, trying to think of a good good comp, but let's say somebody like, I, I don't know how you feel about Tyler Webb, he was sort of good last year, but he kind of is the one that comes to mind that level of quality reliever, like sort of the throw-in guy for a seventh inning that game's kind of out of hand. Would you trade Fowler for that kind of a pitcher? I guess, you know, I mean, the logic to doing something like that would be that it frees up time for the other outfielders and also that it minimizes the the damage, I suppose, if you want to think yeah. of it that way. Uh, I... I guess, yeah. It's kind of one half dozen of the other as far as I I see. For me, it's. I think you do because they. I mean, Fowler right now is standing in the way of. At least it seems like he's standing in the way of Dylan Carlson and probably Lane Thomas getting a chance. Um, 
you know, he's, he's at least causing somewhat of a clog in the outfield, maybe not directly kind of limiting anybody's playing time. But, um, you know, I think that if you get – I think right now the, the pitching depth's a little bit of a concern to me. I, I mean, pitching depth always is just because you never know, like with injuries, you never know with relievers who's going to just totally lose it. Um, so I think, you know, having another dart to throw at the board is helpful, and then you open up a little bit of playing time for – for some of the younger guys that I think we need to see. Um, so, yeah, i probably do it. You don't want to be paying a bad reliever that much money, but we've kind of done it with Cecil and Miller and Leon, not so much money-wise, but definitely, pro- you know, giving away major league talent. So, um, I mean, I guess you could probably swallow it if you need to, assuming you have to keep that money anyways, which it appears they do. Worst case, it'd be 